Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On today's pre-recorded episode, Bishop explains the tradition and meaning behind Mary's presentation in the temple, since that's the memorial we remember at Mass today. Then it's on to the Book of Revelation. Bishop summarizes the Catholic approach to interpreting the book that is often bewildering, including its Old Testament roots and apocalyptic writing style. He then focuses in on today's reading from Revelation, which includes John's vision of heavenly worship. He sees the throne of God, 24 other thrones, seven flaming torches, and four creatures covered with eyes. Bishop breaks down what it all means, how it applied to the audience at the time, and how it applies to us today. The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions from listeners. To submit yours, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And today is the memorial of the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, Bishop, would you mind kind of walking us through this feast day? You know, it's uh, it's an unusual feast, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because the presentation of Mary in the temple, we don't have any account in the Bible of this. Mm-hmm. The tradition, though, is that as a little child, she was presented in the temple. And it comes. this tradition comes from some of the apocryphal writings of the early centuries of the church. And as you know, the apocryphal writings were not accepted by the church for inclusion in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how we don't really have evidence even that Jewish parents would present their daughters hmm. in the temple, in the Jewish temple. But a feast, a liturgical feast, arose around this tradition. Okay. And in the East, it was the 6th century, and then later in the West, but there was a basilica near the site of the, the temple in Jerusalem 
in the 6th century that was built in honor of the presentation of Mary in the temple. Actually, this feast is pretty big. It's one of the 12 great feasts in the Orthodox Church. It's not really a feast in our church. It's a memorial. Uh-huh. One of the apocryphal books is, is called the Proto-Evangelium of James. Okay. And in that apocryphal writing, we find the story hmm. of Mary's parents, Anne and Joachim, who were childless, received a message, a heavenly message, that they would have a child. And in thanksgiving for their daughter, they brought her, according to the Proto-Evangelium of James, to the temple in Jerusalem to consecrate her to God. It (laughs) says that Mary remained in the temple until puberty, and then she was assigned to Joseph as a guardian. And then there's other later versions of the story, et cetera, other apocryphal texts about, you know, saying that she was educated at the temple or, you know, all kinds of different things. So we can't really report on the historical accuracy of these stories, but Mm -hmm. we do celebrate her presentation in the temple. And I think it's basically when I celebrate that memorial and celebrate mass on, on this day, It's really a celebration, I think, of Mary's dedication to God. Of course, we we know, we believe that she was filled with grace at the moment of her conception, her immaculate conception. So her whole life was dedicated to God. God dwelled in her Mm -hmm. in a magnificent way and sanctified her for her role in the history of salvation. So I think this is a beautiful thing to celebrate, to celebrate the holiness of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that she was totally dedicated to God. So for me, that's what I think is the, the meaning of this feast of Mary's presentation in the temple. Yeah. And just to clarify on apocryphal books from, well, not, not from the Bible, yeah. but I imagine... You know, the events of the New Testament happen. Mary's still alive. People are telling the stories of Christ. They're asking Mary stories. She's telling them stories. They're passing these stories down. Eventually, people are writing down the stories. Some of these stories make it into the Bible. Some of them don't. That doesn't mean that they're false just because they weren't accepted into the canon of the Bible. It's just didn't seem like it was necessary or uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit said this doesn't need to be in the Bible for one reason or another. So those stories could still be could be completely could true. be could yeah. be historically true. It's just that we can't verify it. Yeah. And you know, we know there are certain things in apocryphal writings that are certainly not true. Okay. Because they conflict with what's in the canonical gospels. Okay. All right. Well, another thing that we have is these readings from Revelation. And actually, you recently were talking about your love for St. John, the beloved apostle, and talking about his writings, which include the book of Revelation. And as soon as you mentioned that, my mind was already running to, we need to have an episode on the book of Revelation, if not a whole year of it. Because I feel like that's a book of the Bible with that really confuses people because there's yes. so much symbolism, and but there's also like accurate descriptions and symbolic descriptions and they're kind of mixed together and it's a vision. So uh, I would love it if you could kind of break open a little bit about the book of revelation for us. You know, I'd love to, because I enjoy reading it, especially every other year, our readings at this time, they're the end of the liturgical year come from the book of revelation. So there's opportunities to preach on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there is a lot of confusion and a lot of disagreement, all kinds of interpretations. 
and there's a whole Catholic approach to mm -hmm. interpretation of the book of Revelation. You have certain evangelicals who have other more literal kinds of interpretations, etc. So we could get into a lot of that. But I think it's important to, to, to just look at the book as a whole. It's a type of literature that we call apocalyptic. That's the literary genre. It's a genre that really is characterized by things like dreams, visions, a lot of symbolic ways of communicating truths. And this was a genre that was already widespread, even before the book of Revelation was written. And we see, for example, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, part of it is, is really this genre of yeah. apocalyptic. By the way, the word apocalypse basically means revelation. So <laughs> in any event, um, who was the audience? John was writing to the members of the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. And we know that from the, the first chapter of the book of Revelation. In verse 11, he heard a voice, John heard a voice which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So this was the audience. Um, so why is he writing to them? It's interesting. Obviously, he wanted to convey a message. We believe that St. That John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It really was a prophetic uh, message, which is really quite important, not only at that time, but even for us today. It's a fascinating book. It can be very bewildering. It kind of is anticipating the persecution that Christians at that time would undergo because of their faith. Mm -hmm. The message has to do a lot with that. Um, when you read it, you see the battle. You know, you see the a lot of figurative language and use of symbols, but to really try to interpret what is happening in history. And it's important that recognize that this is really towards the end of the first century and this time of, of that's going to see a lot of persecution, especially those seven churches that he's writing to in Asia Minor. It's trying to help people to recognize that God will be victorious. Hmm. And um, yes, there will be a trial. There will be tribulation. There will be suffering. But in the end, Christ will be victorious. And I think when we look at something like this, it's, it was meant for the people of that time, but it's also meant for us because this is kind of the perennial reality in history that there is this spiritual battle between God and Satan, between good and evil. And we're summoned to be faithful, to bear witness to the gospel, even in the midst of persecution. So I think when you think of this, then you can understand a little bit more when one's reading this. If you study scripture like this, we can see it's, okay, what was happening at that time? I guess you could say you can take a historical approach. Okay. Okay, what was John writing and what was the situation he was addressing? That's one way and it's very valid and it's important. But it also transcends that particular historical time mm -hmm. that it also has to do with subsequent history, and there's lessons there for, for today, 
And there's also lessons about the end times, you know, the second coming of Christ. So as Catholics, we kind of look at it through all these lenses when we, when we study the book of Revelation. I think maybe to help us, because we really don't have time to, to look at the whole book, but maybe just today's reading. It might be an idea for people to say, okay, I went to Mass today. This was the reading. What does it mean? Yeah. Um, would that be a good way to proceed? I would love that, yeah, because even in just today's reading, there's all kinds of symbolism and right. animals with six wings and things like that. We're like, wait a minute. Did this actually happen? So I would love for you to be able to walk through that. I'd be happy to. I um, I remember when I was doing Bible study in my parish, the people loved going through the book of Revelation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it raises a lot of questions. And sometimes, you know, Catholics can be challenged about this because things like the rapture right. and what that means and all these things that people, especially our evangelical brothers and sisters, might believe mm -hmm. that we don't believe, different things like that. But anyhow, let's um, today's was a, a rather lengthy reading. It came from chapter four of the book of Revelation. It has to do with uh, vision. By the way, I had the good fortune of some years ago visiting the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which is you know the site where St. John wrote the book of Revelation. Uh -huh. And um, it's a beautiful island. They call it the Holy Island. I mean, it's mainly the Orthodox Church. And when you approach on it, and I was on the ship, you see this, um, this fortress in the middle of the island, which is really a Greek Orthodox monastery. But in the monastery or next to the monastery is the cave where it's believed that St. John stayed when he, by the way, he was exiled to Patmos because there was already a persecution of the church under the emperor Domitian. Mm -hmm. So the tradition is that, that John was exiled to the island of Patmos and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. So they have what's called the Cave of the Apocalypse, and it's enclosed by this monastery of the Apocalypse. And so I went into that holy cave, and I actually bought an icon there uh -huh. that uh, I still have in my house of, of St. John lying there receiving these visions in a dream. So I, I remember praying in that cave and uh, thinking about what an amazing thing it was that that St. John had this, this vision. And uh, I mean, it's pretty fantastic, all the images, et cetera. So the island of Patmos is just a small island, beautiful, you know, whitewashed homes and it's small. I mean, I don't know, remember, but I mean, it's not, it's not a big island at all. And there are a lot of churches there. So if you ever are on a pilgrimage or you're going through that area near between near Turkey and and uh, Greece, it's not that far from Ephesus, from what I remember. Uh -huh. um, it's a great place to stop. It really is. What was the cave itself like? It was very simple. I mean, they had, uh, it was very rugged, and it was, um, well, I don't know if they allow mass in there, but they, I th the, the Orthodox own it, or, and they, they have their, some of their services in there. But I remember hmm. it being pretty small and rugged, just a cave, really. So basically, volcanic kind of rock, restored. you know, kind of, yeah, or, it's kind of like built into the mountain. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Well, how about before we get into today's reading, we take a little break and people can go get a pen and paper, get ready to take some notes, <laughs> and then we'll have you walk through this. So stick around and we'll have more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've been talking about the book of Revelation, and particularly, you said you'd give us a little walkthrough for today's reading, which is comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It's interesting, before I, before I read this, I already read that part where he was addressing these seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh-huh. So at this point, he he's basically summons John into heaven so that he may see what will happen afterwards. So he has this vision and it's of really heaven and the vision of heavenly worship, the throne room of God. I won't read the whole thing. I'll read the first six verses and talk about that and then we can read the rest later. Okay. Um, But these are the first six verses of Revelation chapter four today's reading. I, John, had a vision of an open door to heaven, and I heard the trumpet-like voice that had spoken to me before, saying, come up here, and I will show you what must happen afterwards. At once I was caught up in spirit. A throne was there in heaven, and on the throne sat one whose appearance sparkled like jasper and carnelian. Around the throne was a halo as brilliant as an emerald. Surrounding the throne, I saw 24 other thrones on which 24 elders sat, dressed in white garments and with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Seven flaming torches burned in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In front of the throne was something that resembled a sea of glass like crystal. Now, when you hear something like that at Mass, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, do you imagine the scene? Going over my head is what's happening. It's, you know, it's something that, you know, it can go over our head. I like to read it slowly and kind of think about it, but but it's really an amazing thing that John sees this open door to heaven, Mm -hmm. and... And he hears the voice of, of the risen Lord that was like a trumpet, come up here. And Jesus tells John that uh, he'll show him what must happen afterwards. So what was the reason, what was the purpose for him going into heaven? It was to receive a divine revelation, mm-hmm. what will happen. And at once, notice he says, I was caught up in spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, we're to live in the Spirit. That's our vocation. I say this at confirmations all the time, and I'll say to, to kids I've confirmed, are you living by the Spirit? I mean, that's, that's our vocation, to live and to pray in the Spirit. Uh-huh. Well, here we have St. John saying, I was caught up in Spirit. In other words, this is kind of a special moment of revelation, of, of prophetic revelation. And so he's caught up in Spirit, and what does he see? A throne. Now, we see this throne mentioned many times throughout the book of Revelation. This is the symbol of God's sovereignty, divine sovereignty, just like any king has a throne. 
This is the great throne. This is the throne of God. That's what he sees. He has this vision of God seated on the throne. I think it's also important, if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, a lot of these images come from the Old Testament. They aren't new. Mm-hmm. I think especially of the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, which also talks about a throne. There mm-hmm. are apocalyptic writings in the Old Testament, book of Daniel, book of Isaiah. They have parts of them that are apocalyptic. So in order to understand these images in the book of Revelation, it's necessary to know the Old Testament background. Uh So I just want to point that out. But John doesn't attempt to describe the person, uh, I shouldn't say person, uh, the figure sitting on the throne. What does he say? On the throne sat one whose appearance sparkled like jasper and carnelian. Okay, these are jewels. Jasper is a red jewel. I think it could be other colors. I don't know. Hmm. But carnelian is a fiery red stone. So this, this sparkling appearance. And it says around the throne was a halo as brilliant as an emerald. And this is also mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, by the way. Uh So what does this mean? It's really just the majesty and splendor and beauty of God. Uh Remember in St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, he speaks of God dwelling in unapproachable light. Hmm. We can be reminded of that. Okay, This is symbolic of the majesty and the beauty, the splendor of God. And by describing his appearance as sparkling like jasper and carnelian, brilliant as an emerald, this halo around the throne. It's just this idea of the the great majesty of God. And around the throne, if we keep reading, John saw 24 other thrones. Mm -hmm. And sitting on each of those 24 thrones was an elder. They're basically in worship before God's throne, okay? They're dressed in white garments. What does the 24, what do they represent? Well, we know that there were 12 tribes of Israel Mm -hmm. and there were 12 apostles. Hmm. And you will read in other places uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, late in the book of Revelation, how the gates of the new Jerusalem, remember, they're inscribed with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel And the foundations of the city are inscribed with the names of the 12 apostles. 12 plus 12 equals 24. So we're talking here, uh, they represent the entire people of God. Mm -hmm. 12 plus 12. So it's the people of the old covenant and of the new covenant Uh in worship before the throne of God. Hmm. That's the 24 elders. They represent all God's people. So they're worshiping. They're offering prayers as incense. They're wearing white garments. White is a color of, that signifies holiness. Gold crowns they're wearing, mm-hmm. it, which shows that they share in God's authority, God's kingly role. Hmm. And of course, we're approaching the feast of Christ the King. They're really human representations of God's people already there in heaven, reigning with Christ, these 24 elders. Uh Now, some will think that they're really angelic 
representations of God's kingdom. You know, most scholars say no, they're, they're human representations. That word elder, too, is in Greek, it's presbyteros, our word presbyter, the <laughs> word we use for priests. Okay. Yeah. And it was never used for angels, by the way. So that's why, you know, we think this is, these were not angels, these were human. Uh huh. Now, notice it says then that the, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Kind of sounds familiar. We see this in the Old Testament, don't we? Uh, lightning and thunder often accompany a manifestation of God. Hmm. Think about Mount Sinai, when God bestowed his covenant on his people. There was thunder. We see in the book of Ezekiel, lightning, when he was calling Ezekiel. So to have these flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder it's it calls to mind god's greatness how awesome god is his power so all of that issues uh, from the throne these flashes of lightning rumblings and thunder and then it says seven flaming torches burned burned in front of the throne which are the seven spirits of god mm -hmm. well remember in the temple the menorah, the seven-branched hmm. lampstand. So anyone reading this letter or reading this book would, would think with seven flaming torches, they're going to think of the temple in Jerusalem. And John mentions the seven spirits of God. And that's also in the book of Zechariah, who had a vision of seven lamps representing the divine spirit that uh, the Holy Spirit, that God acts in the world by means of his spirit. And then it says, in front of the throne was something that resembled a sea of glass, like crystal. Again, Solomon's temple. In front of the throne, it's probably alluding to that uh, large basin of water, which they called the sea in Solomon's temple. Huh. So we hear this reading. What, what should it make us think about i would say really it should evoke within us this awe and wonder at the majesty and greatness of god that this is a moment of revelation like the revelation that took place on mount sinai to moses and the elders of israel or like ezekiel so this is kind of a tradition of apocalyptic that here we have John gazing on God in his heavenly throne room. So what happens next? Mm -hmm. Well, let's continue reading. In the center and around the throne, there were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. The first creature resembled a lion. The second was like a calf. The third had a face like that of a man. And the fourth looked like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were covered with eyes inside and out. Day and night, they do not stop exclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They throw down their crowns before the throne, exclaiming, Worthy are you, Lord our God, 
to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things because of your will they came to be and were created this is the worship in heaven okay um, huh. and these four living creatures ezekiel also saw these four cherubim these angels angelic beings that we can read about in that old testament book of the prophet ezekiel so what john is describing really resemble the four living creatures that ezekiel saw the cherubim in the old testament these were angels okay here in john's vision these four living creatures are covered with eyes in front and in back uh -huh. which indicates their awareness of everything hmm. taking place they're seeing everything mm -hmm. and they're vigilant but they're not coming down to earth they're remaining there at god's throne mm -hmm. uh, and they're leading the praises of god in heaven but it's interesting how in ezekiel each creature has four faces here the angels differ from one another they each have a single face mm -hmm. one has the face of a lion another a calf or an ox another has the face of a human being and another has the face of an eagle mm -hmm. and there's no explanation um many scripture scholars believe that they represent the whole of of animate creation okay um and you might think well you know the the swiftest would be the eagle and then the wisest then it would be the man the human being the strongest would be the ox the calf and the noblest of course the lion okay. i mean there's various things you can think about um uh -huh. you know in christian iconography very early on i think it was late second century christian writers identified these four creatures with the four gospel writers right and that's why we see now mark symbolized by a lion and luke by an ox and john is the eagle and matthew is the human being the human face mm -hmm. do you know why we have those four images for those four gospels i don't because matthew begins with the human face the human origins of jesus with huh. the genealogy okay mark he begins his gospel by calling jesus the son of god referring to his royal power okay the lion mm -hmm. luke his gospel be, begins in the temple where the sacrifices were made and that's um the ox and john's the eagle because his gospel soars in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god it's a soaring introduction yeah uh so the eagle jesus is the word of god who always existed anyhow back to the actual reading from the book of revelation remember i said that it's good to know the old testament background here's a passage from isaiah and you can see how this relates to it's in isaiah chapter six Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne with the train of his garment filling the temple. Seraphim were stationed above. Each of them had six wings. Hmm. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they hovered. One cried out to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. All hmm. the earth is filled with his glory. So here we have John's living creatures like isaiah's seraphim 
They have six wings. Mm-hmm. And why six wings? Well, it shows that they can fly quickly. <laughs> okay. You know, they can. Uh, and what are they, they praying in, in the book of Revelation? Holy, holy, holy. Same prayer as in Isaiah. That's what the living creatures never stop exclaiming. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and who, who was and who is and who is to come. Mm-hmm. Now, why holy said three times? It's just emphasizing. You know, the holy means totally different, holy other, transcendent. And saying that three times, that God is totally other, totally transcendent, totally different. He's beyond us. So I've heard it explained as the like a instead of holy, holier, holiest, they didn't have the superlatives like that. So it would have been holy, holy, holy is holiest. Okay, I don't know. That could be. I haven't heard that. But I have heard it also as uh, hinting at the Trinity. Oh, okay. The thrice holy God, Uh the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which I love that. And so you have this praise of God that's never ceasing in heaven. They're giving honor. They're giving glory. This is something, this heavenly worship. They're proclaiming God as, as eternal, who was and who is and who is to come. The one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. So there's this perpetual praise, and it elicits a response from the 24 elders. Hmm. Because remember, they represent the people of God, mm-hmm. okay? The old and the new covenant people of God. And what do they do? It's kind of like a liturgical response. They, representing God's people, prostrate themselves and worship him, mm-hmm. showing their honor, their submission to God. It says that they, uh, they fall down before the one who sits on the throne. So they're worshiping God. It's adoration. And they throw down their crowns before the throne. Mm. Now, they were already exalted uh, themselves. They had these golden crowns, but here they humble themselves before God. Mm -hmm. They are recognizing that God is infinitely greater than they are. That's why they throw down their crowns. And what do they declare? Worthy are you. Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things because of your will, they came to be and were created. So they're praising God as the author of everything that exists. So that goes through this whole reading. And we could go through the whole book of Revelation. We could do this for a year, Kyle. But but maybe I'm hoping that the listeners might inspire them to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much here. Like, like, do we, how often do we think about, you know, we owe God gratitude and honor and praise for everything, including mm-hmm. our own existence. And we should praise God for his creation and the wonder of our existence. And that's, that's what we see happening here with the 24 elders that represent us mm-hmm. at the throne of God. All right, well... Yeah, that brings up about a, a million different questions about Revelation, but maybe we can come back to this at some point. And like you said, do some research on our own and do some Bible studies. Um, maybe something you want to get going in your parish and find a good resource that can help you with that. Uh, and if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop. 
You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have questions like, what is Bishop's favorite gift of the Holy Spirit? Special liturgies for children and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. If you're enjoying Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, be sure to check out Redeemer Radio's other locally produced programs, including The Kyle Hyman Show, Dr. Doctor, and Church Life Today. To listen to previous episodes of any of these, go to RedeemerRadio.com and select Audio Library, or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and listen there. You can also submit questions for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future episode of Truth and Charity on the app or website. Or if you have a question for Dr. Doctor, a show featuring three physicians from the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese, you can submit it there too. So don't forget the Redeemer Radio app and website for past episodes of all our locally produced shows. Thanks for listening to and supporting Redeemer Radio as we continue our mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with Bishop, and I am asking the questions that you have submitted for him to answer. Father Eric Bergner from St. Pius X in Granger asked, do you have a favorite gift of the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's a great question, Father Eric. You know, I'll often say at confirmations that my favorite gift is fortitude. Hmm. I think we need that, especially in the church today. Living in our culture, we need that, that steadfastness, the courage to live our faith when it's unpopular, when we're criticized or made fun of even, ridiculed, we need fortitude. Mm-hmm. I'll say that to the young people. A close second to that in my life would be counsel. Hmm. You know, I really need the advice of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Piety, you know, I think that's off. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to only say one. <laughs> But the desire to pray, the desire to worship God, that is really something we all need. But anyhow, I I would probably, it's hard, I would still probably say fortitude is number one. Okay. Someone asked, what does Bishop think about having children leave the Mass for a special children's liturgy? Is it better that they experience the Mass with their family, even if some of it goes over their head? Or is it better that they get something that is more interactive and geared toward them, but takes them away from the congregation? Oh, that's a tough question. I honestly don't have an answer. I think I leave it to the parents. Okay. You know, I, I can see both sides. Honestly, I can see how some parents don't want their children taken out. They want them to be there for the whole mass and experience it even if they don't understand everything. But then there are others who say, no, it's more meaningful if they leave and have a children's liturgy of the word. They enjoy that more. It's geared to them. So I'm not going to weigh in on that. I think I'd leave it to the parents. Um, I think they're equally valid uh, reasons. Okay. Cecilia has submitted the following. What other kinds of devotions can we do with a normal rosary? Let's see. The only other things I ever do with my rosary, besides praying the rosary, <laughs> is the Divine Mercy Chaplet mm-hmm. um, and the, the Jesus Prayer. I don't do that very often, but I have done that, you know, where I've done use the beads of the rosary to count and then, you know, pray 
however many bees there are, the 50 plus the, the five, mm-hmm. um, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, mm-hmm. or Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's different Jesus prayers, but uh-huh. um, there's probably other kinds of devotions out there, but I don't know of them. Okay. Do you know any others, Kyle? I don't. I mean, a Divine Mercy Chaplet seems to be the most common. And people could look that up online if you're not familiar with it. It's a pretty, it's a, a shorter prayer if you're limited on time or we're just wanting something for, uh, yeah, mix it up a little bit. All right. You can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk about keeping the faith in college, bad words, and a classic, Would You Rather, coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you've submitted. And Jennifer Barton asked, how do you help your college-bound children keep their faith in the face of a culture that is hostile to Catholicism? Wow. Um, well, definitely pray for them, but I think it's what, how you raise them prior to their leaving the home. I think if they have a habit of prayer, if you've also that they've learned the content of the faith well, so that when they're challenged by others who perhaps disagree, that they know how to respond. Or if they hear something in class that is a distortion of our Catholic faith. I think it's really important, for example, that our young people understand the compatibility of faith and science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so happy to see in our Catholic high schools and in our some of our Catholic youth groups, there's a lot of emphasis being put on that because that can be challenged, especially when they go to college to say, oh, well, science says this, but the Catholic Church says this. Well, no, there's no disagreement when it's good right. science. It doesn't conflict with our faith. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that has to happen, I think, before they go. I would try to maybe get them connected uh, with the campus ministry or the Catholic campus ministry on campus or Mm -hmm. maybe to encourage the son or daughter to to get involved. Maybe when you take them to college, look into that. When you're Mm -hmm. visiting colleges, I think that's a good thing. But I think it's the years of of formation that they receive in the home Mm -hmm. prior to going to college that really will determine or help determine or, or help give them the strength to persevere in their faith. Sure. All right. One of our listeners said, I know we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but what about other, quote, bad words, end quote? Is it a sin to say words that are culturally understood as inappropriate? Yeah. I mean, obscenities, that's not taking the, the name of the Lord in vain, mm-hmm. but they're bad words. So we shouldn't use obscenities. And I, it would be sinful, uh, venial sins, most likely. When they mentioned about being culturally understood as un- inappropriate, but I think mm-hmm. even beyond cultures, there are certain things that are just um, inappropriate. Yeah. What about the substitution words? It seems like most bad words would have another word that people use in place of it. Right. Does it still have the same effect and meaning? I don't think so. I think, I mean, <laughs> you know, to say darn, uh-huh. I, I don't see a problem with that. Or And some obscenities are worse than others. Mm-hmm. You know, some are more offensive mm-hmm. than others too because of i don't want to say what the words are <laughs> on, but you know you could probably know what i mean sure uh, there's bad words and then there are really bad words <laughs> uh, maybe you could say it that way yeah. and finally would you rather eat your favorite meal every day for the rest of your life or 
not be able to eat the same thing twice. So you are constantly trying something new, but you might not like it. Did that come from Father Eric? <laughs> he did ask a, uh, a non-food related uh, yeah, one about the gifts of the I, Holy Spirit. He did. Um, you know what? I'd get bored eating, even if it's my favorite meal, every day for the rest of my life. No, mm -hmm. I'd rather try something new and not be able to eat the same thing twice. Variety, Variety is your choice. Yes. Over Because it might be my favorite meal, but if I'm eating it every day, yeah. it's no longer going to be my favorite <laughs> meal. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop, for taking time out of your schedule and sharing with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Kyle. And could we get your Episcopal blessing before sure, we go? Sure, sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Take care. Join us next Wednesday at noon for another new episode of Truth and Charity. To catch up on more than 60 previous episodes, download the Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Audio Library. While you're there, you can also listen to past episodes of other Redeemer Radio local programming. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.